Vida Abundante welcomes you to our SoundCloud page. We'd like to invite you to download our app, available in the App Store and on Google Play. Also, you can now follow us on Instagram under the name Vida Abu or on Facebook under the name Vida Abundante Cicero. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. So, a couple of things are going on here. If you weren't with us two weeks ago, some of the things that we spoke about was the acknowledgement of this sin. People, the, the people of God, Israel, had to first acknowledge their corruption to come before God. And then what did they do? In verse 2, they had to come to him with words of confession. This is basically them praying for forgiveness because they've acknowledged their wrong ways. And finally, today in verse 3, we're going we're gonna to see what they turned from. This is an important aspect of confession and of repentance. We cannot repent genuinely if we don't know what we're repenting of. That, that is very common today where we can repent and do a false type of repentance just because we feel guilty. Sometimes uh, if we come to church or, or someone speaks to us and exhorts us and, and maybe calls our attention, we may feel guilty and we may feel bad or badly, but we don't know why. Oftentimes it, it's seen in, in marriage where the wife is upset with the husband and, and the husband's trying to figure out why she's upset. And most of the time it's something very basic, but, but he cannot realize why is my wife Upset, And this is the, the clarity that God wants to bring. It's not, you're not going to repent just because you feel bad. You're not going to say sorry just because you feel sorry. You have to know what you're turning from. And most importantly, you have to know what you're turning to. So remember this, repentance and Israel, what Israel's doing, what it implies for us is that they're repenting of their evil wayward ways, but they're also turning to something. That's the most important part of repentance. The fact that we're turning to something. Because we can feel badly and ask for forgiveness and ask for repentance, but ultimately what are we turning to? Or who are we turning to? So that's very important. And in verse 3, it will show us that Israel understood what they would be turning from. And most importantly, at the end of the verse 4 and verse 3, they know who or what they're going to be turning to. So look with me at, at verse 3 once more. And we're going to go through this uh, fairly quickly so that we can get move ahead in this chapter, I hope. Verse 3 says, Assyria shall not save us. So remember, they're praying. This is what they're praying. This is a prayer of confession. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan 
finds mercy. So this is very important because they're saying and they're confessing everything they've done wrong. Even though the, li the list should be longer, these are general topics of where they went astray. What's the first thing that they mentioned? Assyria. If you guys were here with us, we understood what that means and why they're mentioning for forgiveness from or for looking to Assyria. What, did, what was Assyria to them? Assyria was their political alliance and allegiance so that they can help them in their dire state. They're asking God, forgive us for looking to other people or other sources or other kings when you are our king. We should have looked to you. When we were in our most miserable state, we should have looked to Yahweh and not to Assyria. So one of the first things that they recognize is that, that they're looking, that they were looking in another direction. They weren't looking to God. They were distracted by what other powers can do. Sometimes the influence and the power of this world can capture our attention. It captured the attention of Israel, and they thought to themselves, we will find hope in this king, in Tiglath-Pileser III. We will find hope in them because their army is big. They've been conquering other nations. They are a strong power of, 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 of the nations. We will definitely find hope in them. And as we read earlier in Hosea, they were the ones that brought destruction to Israel. So one of the first things in their repentance in this prayer is forgive us for looking that way. And not looking to you. Another thing they mention is we will not ride on horses. Now you think about this. This prayer is kind of weird. Imagine praying a prayer like this. We will not look to Assyria to save us. And we will not ride on horses. It's a little bit weird. But that's why it begs this interpretation. What does this mean? One of the things that horses resembled in Old Testament times is this power and authority and military might. So remember that Israel not only was seeking after Assyria, but Israel themselves, prior to getting des destroyed by their sin, they were in a state of wealth and political power. They themselves were conquering other smaller city-states. They, they themselves were the ones that had the might. They themselves had a big army, and they put their trust in that army. They put the trust in their might, in what they could do, and the power that they had within themselves. So here's two things that, are going, that they're repenting from. First, that they were looking to other people for help. Second, that they were looking to themselves for help. It gets from worse to worse. So they don't need to look to themselves. They have a mighty God who can provide and who can liberate. I love what we just saying, that we can go into victory, we can go into the war, because God has already won. That's the most important part of the Christian life, especially Israel, the people of God, people that were used to seeing God work in wonderful ways, in miraculous ways, in powerful ways. They knew that they could trust in him. Yet, for some reason, obviously a heart of rebellion, they looked to Assyria and they also looked to themselves. So this is also kind of... Uh, a distraction because there comes a point in time in Israel's life when they said, well, we've got here this far on our own. 
We did so much on our own. We accomplished so much on our own. Our army has grown. We have been conquering. I think we can handle it. We can move on. We can do this on our own. We can live our lives on our own and not look to God. So in that sense, they're saying, Lord, forgive us for thinking that way. We should never have relied on ourselves or our military power because God showed them what that meant to rely on their military power. They were crushed completely. And thirdly, in the, ver in the last part of, in part C of verse 3, to the work of our hands, we will not call, we will not say our God. So what it's saying here, if you remember from chapters 5 and, and chapter 4 and chapter 11, chapter 10, all the times that Israel fabricated these made-up idols with their hands, they elevated these idols. They thought, well, Assyria can't save us then. Ourselves, we don't have the power and authority to do it. What if the gods of these nations can help us? So let's make ourselves idols and let's make them with gold and let's put them together and maybe these idols can be our help and our sustain. And maybe they can get us through these difficult moments. And so in that they realize idol worship was never part of who they were called to be. These idols that they thought can, they can call their God will never or could never say to them, you will be my people. Because idols don't speak. They have a mouth, and they can't talk, they have eyes, but they can't see, and they have ears, but they cannot hear. This whole time, Israel was bowing down to a bunch of images that could do nothing for them. And so in these three aspects, Israel is saying, forgive us. This is important because it's not someone else pointing it out to them. This was pointed out from the beginning through Hosea where there was a constant call and a constant plea to return. And it's finally in their own prayer that they say to themselves and to God, Forgive us for looking to other people. Forgive us to looking, for looking to ourselves. And forgive us for idol worship. These were the three major causes of their affliction and of their destruction and of their complete almost annihilation as a people. If it wasn't for God's grace, they would have been completely annihilated. So that's important. When we confess our sins, when, when Israel confessed their sin correctly, and turn to God correctly, they did it with understanding. They didn't just say, God, if I offended you in some way, forgive us. We've all said that fake, phony uh, apology, right? We've all, we've all known that we've hurt somebody at one point in time in our lives. And then we go up to them and say, hey, man, if, you know, if I hurt you somehow... If I offended you in some way, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't know, I didn't mean it. And it's like, man, you know you meant it. You know you meant what you did. It's better to acknowledge it and just put it out there and say, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for doing that. I'm sorry for calling you this. I'm sorry for going behind your back. I'm sorry for speaking about you behind your back, etc. This is what they were called to do. And this type of repentance, this type of acknowledgement, 
provides for them what God has always wanted to do in their lives. So before we move forward, this is what they're turning from. They're turning away from political alliance. They're turning away from military might and believing in their own strength. And they're turning away from idol worship. But what are they turning to? That's the important factor in this. What is Israel finally turning to? That last part of verse 3 says, In you the orphan finds mercy. In who? In God. It's not Assyria. It's not in their military might. And it's definitely not in their idols. It's in God. In their very own prayer, they have not only acknowledged what they've done wrong or incorrectly, but they've acknowledged who they're turning to. We're going to you because only in you we find mercy. But the beautiful part of this is what they call themselves. They, are, they call themselves orphans. People without hope. A hopeless child coming to find mercy and a great father. We as a people need to come to God as orphans because we've acknowledged that we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to give. We are in a dire state. Can you imagine what it must feel like to be an orphan? Can you imagine your child Growing up as an orphan without father and without mother. Can you imagine what it must feel like for a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old to live through foster care? The way Henry gave that story last week of, of those kids growing up in foster homes and being abused and being constantly uh, being spoken wrongly to them. Can you imagine what that does to the psyche of a child? You have no one to turn to. You have no one to help you. Who's going to feed you? Who's going to protect you? Where are you going to go home and lay down? You're an orphan. You've been abandoned. You've been left to die out on the street. In our current context, it's even worse. You've been left in a garbage can in the alley somewhere for the rats to eat you up. You've been abandoned. But this is the state that they've come to. Everything else in their lives, all their institutions have failed them. In chapter 4, we, we read about the harlot mother. The mother that led a life of harlotry and abandoned their own children to it. Not only that, showed them how to become that too. They're phony fathers that they turned to in these Baal images disappointed them because their images and these idols could never do anything for them. All these phony kings and leaders and princes that they raised and they lifted up in Israel, none of them could save them in this time. And that's why God told them, where are your kings? Where are your princes? They've been abandoned completely. They've been left alone. They are completely orphans. And as orphans, they come to God. Friends, we are to come to God as orphans. We are to come to God because we realize that in the Father's arms and in his heart, there is true 
grace and mercy for us. We will find mercy in the arms of this lovely Father. It's interesting, in chapters 5 and in chapter 7 of Hosea, they're they're talked about Israel's being kind of like choosing a different doctor. They're trying to find healing with Assyria. They finally realize we can't be healed through Assyria. In chapter 7, they're compared to a silly dove. I don't know if you remember that, but they're compared to a silly dove in chapter 7, verse 11. But they're finally coming to their senses. They've finally realized through all this time, all this heartache, all this pain, all this hurt, that they need to go to God. So they've repented from their ways. They've repented from everything they've done that is wrong. They recognize that and they acknowledge that and they own it. But now they're turning to God. So imagine if they only did one step. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm a mess. I'm bad. I, I admit it. I'm evil. I confess. Forgive me, Father. And that's it. But then keep living the same way or, or turning to something else or finding someone else to help them. They needed to turn to God, and that's what God has been calling them to do so because only in that type of situation can you turn to God. You can, you can lose your job but still have $50,000 in your bank account and be like, I'm cool. I'm good at least for the next year and a half. I mean, I don't have to work for about a year and a half. I saved up. I have a good chunk of money in, in, in savings or in stocks, and, and I'm good. $50,000, woof, I'm, I'm pretty good. I don't need to turn to God in this type of situation. I'll find a job within a year and a half. For the meantime, I'll go to Hawaii and relax on the beach for a bit. Or something, something else might happen where you, you lose your car or something minor, and you're just like, ah, it's a car, it's material, it, it's okay. I, I can keep living the same way. Sometimes in those minor de- uh, areas in our lives that, that affect us and minor little things that, that hinder us and minor little evils that come in our lives, we're just kind of like, we, we can shrug them off. Some of us are strong enough, we believe, to say, ah, that doesn't bother me. I can get another job. I can get another car. I can get another uh, tool. Whatever it is, I can do it on my own. This is, this is okay. This is just a minor setback. I'm going to keep going forward. New year, new me. I'm, I'm the man. Well, in those moments, we don't look to God. But when we're orphans, there is nothing else that we can turn to. You think an orphan wants $100? If he's three years old, do you think an orphan wants a Lamborghini? Do you think an orphan wants, wants a, a material, uh, uh, here, here's your, you, you got an IRA filled for the next 10 years. You, what is, the orphan wants love. The orphan wants affection. The orphan wants to be carried. The orphan wants to feel secure in someone's arms. Doesn't care about anything else. And that's why this is so important. And friends, that's why we call as a church, we call people, we call ourselves to repentance continually. It isn't just that you repented 10 years ago and you said, I'm okay. No, this is a life call of repentance. Sorry, God, because I continue to fail. That's why we read 1 John. If we say that we don't have sin, we're lying to ourselves. And not only that, we make God a liar. It's important for us to realize that we still need this wonderful Father. We can't wipe our sin away. We need God. And what's wonderful about this orphan 
uh, vocabulary and terminology in Hosea is that the very law that the people of Israel rejected made provisions for the orphan. Deuteronomy chapter 10, chapter 14, chapter 16, and chapter 24 all speak about provisions for the orphan and how, to, how Israel was supposed to care for the orphan and how Israel was supposed to seek out the orphan and how Israel was supposed to protect the orphan. God in his own very law showed his people what he would be doing to them when they came as orphans. So it's okay. Don't be ashamed of your past. Don't be ashamed of a life that you've messed up on your own. Don't be ashamed of everything that you've done wrong in your life. You, you don't think God already knows? God knows every error, every sin, every mistake, every dirty thought that you've had. And he understands that you are an orphan. The only thing that he's doing is telling you, return. Time to come back. You want to keep living in that sin? Keep receiving its consequences then. But if you want to realize and recognize and repent completely and turn from those ways, it's time to turn to me. The orphan finds love in the arms of a loving father. The father not only seeks them and gives compassion, but the orphan can seek and find favor with God. This is also important that in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, what was the second name of the daughter? Remember the first name? Lo-Ami, and then the second name was Lo-Ruama, which meant no mercy. And what does it say here in verse 3? In you, the orphan finds mercy. This hope was established from the very start. You will not have mercy now because of your wayward ways, but you will. Not only be called my people, you will have mercy. This child would one day feel the mercy from her father. You always have to remember, friends, that the psalm, the psalter, the prophets all say that God is the father to the fatherless. In him the orphan finds mercy. It's beautiful. It's beautiful the way the Hebrew words and terminology just paint this. That's the broken state that most of us are in. We come to God. Friends, come to God. Don't come to church. Come to God. Church, church can help. The most that we can do is give you the word of God so that you can realize for yourself the situation that you're in and know who to turn to. Ain't no counselor going to be able to help you. Ain't no psychologist going to be able to help you. Pardon my French. Ain't nobody else going to be able to help you. Only God. That's why you're called to turn to him. Why are you going to turn to him? Because you're going to find mercy? But why else? Verse 4 paints a clearer picture. Verse 4 says, I will heal their apostasy. That's a strong word. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. It's beautiful language here in the Hebrew. In, 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 in verse 1, we, we read, 
return, the same word is used in verse 4, I will turn. So here's, here's, here's how, how it looks in, in, with a visual aid. Israel is going that way, and God's anger has him pointing this way. And God says to Israel, return to me. And then he says in verse 4, my anger has turned. So I'm no longer angry at you. I'm turning. So we're both turning to each other. It's beautiful. And that's what we're called to do. That's why we're to go to God because he's turning to us. He is no longer angry. There's something beautiful about realizing our, our, our state of orphan where we're not going to keep being made worse. We go to God and we're no longer orphan. We stay away from God and we continue in our orphanage as an orphan. But it says in verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. These, are, these words are very important for us to understand. The word rafa in, in the Hebrew language can mean physical healing. And that's the word that is used for healing right here in verse 4. But rafa not only means physical or medical attention, it is often portrayed in inner spiritual healing. We've all heard this. If you've grown up in church, you've all have heard the, the names of God. And one of the names that many people know from the Hebrew is Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. And although Jehovah doesn't, isn't mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, that word Rapha is that very word for healer or for healing. And this Jehovah Rapha or this Rapha word in Israel isn't only calling for medical attention. Most of their people that need medical attention are dead. They've just gone through war. They've just been destroyed. There isn't really anything left to do to them. But those who have remained will be healed by God because it reflects their status before God. Only those who are tainted and tarnished by sin need God. Not only the dire state of an orphan, but also what that orphan entails as a person. We are guilty before God. That is why these words are very important. That's why you can't just read the Bible and be like, oh, that's cool, and keep going. You got to stop and understand, what does this mean? You got to call Henry and be like, Henry, what does this mean in Hebrew? And, and help me understand this and wake him up at 11 o'clock at night or 1 in the morning and, and say, this is bugging me, Henry. You got to dig in and look for what these words mean so that we understand the context. God is not only saying, I'm going to heal you physically, but I'm going to bring you back to myself. I am going to restore you. Ultimately, what Rafa means is restoration. This broken relationship that we have had between God and Israel, between father and orphan, is finally going to be healed. It's finally going to be restored. We find this word a lot in the Psalter. If you could turn with me real, real quick to Psalm chapter 41. I just want to show you a couple of times that it's mentioned. We'll read chapter 41 first. Chapter 41, verse 5. 
My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? It's talking about destruction and how God will show those who perish mercy. Now go with me to Psalm 30. Psalm 30, verses 3 through 6. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You, you restored, there's that word, you restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. God is talking about restoration. Look at what verse 4 says. Sing praise to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but the joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said, in my prosperity I shall never be moved. And verse 7 by your favor, Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. Important to note here, his anger lasts only for a moment. But it implies he is angry. He's angry at sin. But, as verse 3 says, you restored me to life. That word Rafa is restoration. It's a healing of the heart. It is healing of a broken heart. And it is a healing that is found in confession. If you want to be right with God, you, we have to learn to confess properly. We find complete healing in our confession when we know what we're confessing of. It's more than medical it's more than a physical healing of illness. It's in connection with a broken heart. What's beautiful about this word is that the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, the prophet uses it as reference to righteousness. And that word is very important because righteousness means that the relationship has been restored. That's why Paul says to the son and daughter of Christ and to the Christian, you are declared righteous. Before God, because your relationship as is restored. You are righteously before God. There is no more condemnation with you because your relationship has been restored. What is Paul ultimately saying? That that Messiah that the prophet prophesied about in, in Isaiah chapter 53, that healer has done his job. And he has healed you of your apostasy he has healed you of your sin, and therefore you are declared righteous. Malachi uses it before the Apostle Paul does. But this is beautiful. Because before God can bless them, prosper them, and give them gifts and restore them all these wonderful uh, material things, he needs to heal them that's what we have to understand. We don't come to God just so that he could give us. They don't need to come to God for things. That's why the orphan imagery here is very important. Because, like I said, the orphan doesn't need things. He needs to be restored back to the Father. So that's why God does that first. I'm going to heal you first. Come to me and it says, I will heal. And this is where the the, the, the important aspect of healing, not only as a medical uh, or a physical need, but it entails their apostasy. I will heal them, not their broken bones, not their scars, 
But what is he healing? That's proof that this word entails spiritual healing. He's going to heal them of their what? Of their apostasy. This word is very strong. It's a complete rebellion against God. Not once, not twice, but a continual life of rebellion. When, when Israel is called out, when Israel is spoken directly to, they're called out because they're continually living a life of apostasy. That's why, again, 1 John chapter 1 is very important. You cannot live a life thinking that you're perfect because God knows what's inside of you. And what is inside of you must be confessed. James says, confess your sins, my friend. Go to God, 1 John says, because he will heal you. The beauty in this is that God's anger has turned away from them, but it implies that he was angry. In, in Hosea, we find this paradox, this Tension, if we, were to, if we were to say, where God continually calls them to come back, but they can't until God does something. God calls them, and they rebel. God calls them, and then they come back, but very phony. We, we explored that in chapter 6. God calls them, and then they refuse that healing. They, they can't do it in their own strength. God needs to do something in order for them to come back. That's why this concept of God's anger turning from them is very important. Because it isn't until God is not angry that they could come back. Because in God's anger, what has God done to them? In God's anger, we've all gone through these difficult chapters that we've had to preach through for the last months. And they're very difficult chapters because in God's anger, God has punished their sin. And consequently, he's punished them in doing so. God was angry, but now his anger has turned. And now the people can come to God. It's a promise. This chapter is a a chapter of hope and a promise for the people. Chapter 2, when we see, the, go back to Hosea 2 so we can see it again. Look what he says in, in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There it is. There's that promise that God was going to do his work. God was going to heal them. God was going to bring them to restoration, but who was going to do it? God. It isn't until God allures or God calls that they come. It isn't until God removes his anger that they come. So this is very important for us as New Testament believers because we have to understand two things are implied in this concept. God's grace alone will be the one that brings to salvation. And God has to remove the sin before the sinner can come to God. That's why Isaiah says in chapter 6, how, how are we to stand before the righteous God? How are we supposed to stand before a holy God? And what does the angel do? He puts a burning coal on his lips. 
to cleanse him from all his sin. And Isaiah realizes that. And that's why he says, how can I stand here, a person with such foul mouth? God has to cleanse him, and the angel cleanses him. And so the people of Israel, this paradox of being called, but they can't come until God does the alluring. It was God's doing that caused their salvation. This, this is beautiful. This is poetic justice, poetic beauty at its best. The people that hated God continually, the people that rebelled against God continually, the people that kept turning their back on God continually, he is the one that is going to begin to bring them to restoration. He is the one that's going to bring them to him. That's grace. That's beautiful grace. That's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Think about it, my friends. When would you have turned to God? Think about how your life would be now without God. Think about all the devastation that your life was before God. Think about how much you hated God. You may not have ever had said it, but you lived in that way. And then you realize that you're here Sunday morning. It was raining outside. It was ugly outside. And you're here. By God's grace, you've been called sons and daughters of Christ. This is what theologians call this irresistible grace. This effectual call of God where it does what it entails to do when God calls his people will respond not everyone in Israel responded but there were some in Israel that did and they're the ones that are confessing their sins before God think about it all these people were called to repentance many didn't some did these people, we read, if you continue in the storyline of the prophets, we read these are the people that are also promised a new heart. These are the people that will be promised in the New Testament a heart with the law inside of it. A new heart made of flesh instead of stone. But this is done by God's effectual call. This is done by God's uh, irresistible grace in the hearts of these people, and they return to him, though they were separate and living presently in their evil. But in this calling, this is important, in this calling, they've turned away. So friends, here's the important aspect of Israel. Israel, if you read the storyline of Israel, they'll still fail. And the more and more that the history of Israel goes, the less we see a less, a group of people that come less and less and less. Until God calls them a remnant, a small remnant of people. A vast amount of people in the beginning, even from Abraham's time, a vast amount of people. But then it comes down to the end of the Old Testament and it's this very small remnant of people. Because some did not heed the call. And they turned back to their idol worship. You'll read this in Malachi. You read the Old Testament, the last book. You read this in, in the times of Nehemiah. They returned to their evil. See, you can't come to church and live 
the way you used to. You can't be a Christian and continue living in a state of sin. That, that just doesn't, it doesn't mix well. That's not the right thing to do. Once again, John says, do not believe that you are not a sinner because you call yourself a liar and you're making God a liar. You have to leave. This call isn't just, hey, come to God and, and, and be and have a happy life. It's come to God and leave your sin. It's come to God because now you can leave your sin. It's come to God because that sin that was dealing in your heart, that was eating away at your life, at your spiritual life, that sin that was destroying you can finally be put to rest because now you are a son and daughter of Christ. Those who keep their sin and say, I, I, I can't and I really love this, will keep living that way. So God calls that. That calling is a separation from a world of corruption. That calling is a separation from everything that the world has tried to steal away from the beauty of God. The music, the entertainment, the addictions, all of that must be set aside to follow Christ. If you're going to respond to the call, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to say and sing like that famous song that we've sung many times here, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, that has to mean something for you. That had to mean something to Israel. They can't go back to their old ways. You can't live in the present with your past addictions. You must respond to the call and follow Jesus the right way. That's why Matthew is very important in this because Jesus says, many are called and only a few are chosen. It is only those who can respond the right way by abandoning their sin to turn to God are the ones who God calls with all his might. Now they can repent. They have sought, they have returned, and they could come back sincerely. God heals them and restores them and washes away their apostasy. This is beautiful. Again, I, I love Hosea. It was a difficult book to get through. But I love this because the thing that, that, that kept them away from God for so long was their apostasy was their disgusting sin, and that's what they're being healed from. This corruption that was in them, this, this, this inner desire for self and idol worship inside of their hearts was finally cleansed. Israel no longer had to turn away. Israel no longer had to keep living in their apostasy. Israel no longer needed other gods. They found their mercy in the Father. God heals, restores these wounds, and brings them to him. Apostasy is a very, very difficult sin. To deal with because it's a continual act. When you're in apostasy, you're constantly rebelling against God. But God will heal that. 
and God has promised to do so. He promised Israel, he promises us that he will heal our apostasy. So all of us here, we can turn to God and ask for this healing. I know many of us usually pray, God, heal me because my stomach hurts or because I, they detected a tumor or because something's wrong in my health or because uh, my back has been killing me since, since we were young. Whatever it is that we've always asked, God, heal me, heal me, heal me. But turn to God today and say, God, heal my apostasy. Heal these desires that I have to chase after the pleasures of this world so that I can serve you as a true son and daughter of Christ. So let's do that this morning. Let's pray. Maybe you haven't had a prayer of confession, and I'll help you lead that prayer of confession today. So let's stand up and just rest. Rest that God is a good father. And that we could come to him just the way we are so that he can heal that. Believe it, my friends, if you come to God just the way you are, he's not going to leave you the same. Let's pray. Father, as Israel confessed their sin before you, so we confess our sin before you. And all of us here know exactly what we need to confess from. All of us here know exactly what areas in our lives we must turn from. All of us here know the areas in our lives that you have been angry with. But Father, this morning, those who woke up early and decided to come, Father, are listening to the call of God, saying, son, daughter, Turn to me, for I am turning to you. I will heal your apostasy. I will heal your rebellion. I will heal you from your sin, and I will restore a right relationship with me again. Father, I pray that everyone here realize that today, that as sons and daughters of God, as those who have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, we can come to the Father because we come to a Father that is no longer angry. We come to a Father that will show the orphan mercy. We thank you for that this morning. We thank you for being our good Father. Amen.